You're listening to Book Stories, a podcast about bookstores, the books inside them, and book culture. I'm your host, Vic Singh. Please subscribe to Book Stories on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And thanks for helping us spread the word. This is a conversation I had with David Kippen, editor of a great new book called Dear Los Angeles. It's a rich mosaic of diary entries and letters from people like Marilyn Monroe, Cesar Chavez, Susan Sontag, Albert Einstein, and many more. It's a story of Los Angeles as told by locals, transplants, and some just passing through. David himself was a force of nature, and our conversation, both on and off mic, was a true pleasure. So here it is, my conversation with David Kippen. Hi, I'm David Kippen, editor of Dear Los Angeles. You're listening to Book Stories. So, David, welcome. Thank you. Um, So, for listeners, real quickly, just tell me a little bit about your background. (laughs) Well, I grew up in Los Angeles, and I used to be the book critic, book editor, and then book critic for the San Francisco Chronicle. Then I went to Washington, D.C. to be the director of literature at the National Endowment for the Arts, where I developed a program called The Big Read, where you get everybody in town to read the same book at the same time. And then I came home. And that's Los Angeles, and started a nonprofit lending library in Boyle Heights, which is a working class neighborhood that used to be very Jewish. My family has a little history there and is now very Mexican American. So the place is called Libro Schmibros, and it's a nonprofit lending library where we just put books into people's hands all week long. The thing you said about Washington, D.C., where everybody in the city reads the same book at the same time. Yeah. I just talked to somebody on a different uh, show that we do. Uh, it's in New York City right now where it's uh, One Book, One City. I think that's what it's called. It's a, it's an initiative where the whole idea is to, you know, sort of drive uh, traffic to bookstores and everybody in the city reads the same book. Is this an old concept? I had never heard of anything like this before, and it was fascinating. This is a concept that was developed in a couple of places, uh, all of which take credit for it and you can let them duke it out for who deserves it. But Seattle had one of the first One City, One Book programs. So did Chicago. So did Rochester, New York. And the Big Read developed because a lot of cities like those were doing it really well and a lot of other cities and smaller towns were trying, um, but they had their hands full just picking up the trash on time, let alone getting books into citizens' hands and organizing events around them. So the NEA stepped in. Um, My boss, Dana Joya, turned to me and said, let's figure out a way to engage them in such a way that, that it was a little easier on them. So we picked a finite list of books. We started started with four, and it's grown to over 30, and it's still going. Subsequent administrations have tried to mess with it, and Congress has statutorily preserved it. So from coast to coast, people are still doing the big read, and it's it's one of the most gratifying things I've ever done. Libros Mibros, in fact, is is uh, kind of the, the street-level version of it uh, 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 that started as a way for me to keep the idea alive of reading promotion. Very interesting. So... How did you come up with the idea for this book and become the de facto organizer of Los Angeles thought and opinion dating back all the way to the early 1800s, right? Uh, The subtitle of the book is The City and Diaries and Letters from 1542 to 2018. Um, You said that about the de facto organizer of Los Angeles history, not me. It's lovely to hear, though. Certainly um, plenty of other uh, contenders for the title um, uh, exist. 
I uh, saw a review by Dwight Garner in the New York Times seven years ago of a book called New York Diaries. And it was a similar premise, um, the story of the city told over 400 years um, through diaries. And I called up my agent, um, or maybe she called me because it was a pretty synchronicitous idea, and said, um, well, shoot, if, if a book like this could catch on, imagine if we did a, a similar book about a real city. <laughs> That's my signature trash talk that I've been doing at the San Francisco Chronicle since, uh, since way back when. And I love New York to pieces, but LA's my city. So how many writings did you accumulate? Well, the the final cut has uh, upwards of 500, um, 300 different writers. But I accumulated and then with heavy heart uh, culled and hope someday to restore and add to uh, that um, as many as I possibly could uh, without taxing the limits of um, authorial liquidity and editorial patience. <laughs> does the does the publisher play a part in like the length of a book, like in terms of like material like this, which could conceivably go on infinitely? Um, well, the original contract was just for a couple of years, so I think there. I mean, until you start you know, heading up into the 800-page range, um, they're more concerned with time than they are with, um, with page count. But to their credit, to their everlasting credit, Modern Library was most concerned of all with quality. And, you know, it's for readers to decide just uh, how good the book is. But um, I think it's, it's certainly as good as it ever possibly could have been with them because I, I, they're glorious. They're, I, I never want another publisher if I can help it. How long did the accumulation process take? Uh, only seven years, <laughs> which, uh, which flew by. Um, but uh, if I ever do something like this again, I hope it flies a little faster. So the book is organized by month. Um, by date. By date. Um, how, what was the methodology for organizing it? What was your thought process? How did that, how did that kernel of an idea come into your mind? Well, I mean, I filched the structure from New York Diaries. Um, my innovation was, because New York has this sort of unsporting head start as a city on Los Angeles, I figured I would compensate for that, uh, the, the relative number of diaries, which was fewer, um, by adding letters any kind of basically ephemeral uh, writing that was not intended for publication was eligible. And that gave me the title, uh, Dear Los Angeles, which, um, which I think works. I hope. Is there a theme for Los Angeles that threads generations, like a common refrain, if you will? Oh, man, take your pick. Uh, certainly, misunderstanding on the part of outsiders is a recurrent theme. Uh, you know, from the Spanish explorers who first got here to the dyspeptic 1930s uh, newspaper men and playwrights who wound up writing for the movies. Um, people incorrigibly get Los Angeles wrong if it's even ever possible to get it right. In recent years, though, recent decades at least, um, Angelinas have started telling their own stories, which is wonderful to play off some of these uh, some of these carpetbaggers who've who've come here and uh, tried to turn the place to their own purposes. So, yeah, I would say uh, um, outsider mystification is one. Problematic traffic uh, is probably another, dating back to hair raising attempts to walk across the pueblo and dodge mounted uh, caballeros who were. They were. You would think they were. They were um, motorists uh, to judge by their reluctance to dismount. 
That's interesting. So it was even back then. Oh, absolutely. Wow. It's, it's part of the DNA of Los Angeles. Nobody wants to be driven. Everybody wants to drive. What month stood out to you? Oh, man. Um, in terms of either activity yeah. or content, like what was like a busy month for Los Angeles <laughs> intrigue? Um, I would say, I mean, one of the things that, that has been most satisfying to me as the book coalesced is to look at seasons, which Los Angeles notoriously doesn't have. And so you would find, uh, you know, people rhapsodizing about the weather in springtime. You would find them uh, speculating about such a thing as earthquake season, whether it exists or not. Um, In the fall, uh, you know, as with um, the fall foliage in uh, the northeast Um, You would see people writing about pilot season. There's a very funny diary entry from Ben Stein uh, about writing for television. Um, So, yeah, I'm very fond of the more seasonal ones. I don't know if it peaks, though there's some delightful – oh, there's a Fourth of July one where the actor Richard E. Grant, who, if he's not careful, is going to get Oscar nominated this year, um, is is talking about a beach party that he went to in Malibu at Robert Altman's house – And it's the most idyllic account of a star-studded but at the same time quite intelligent and jolly affair. And it just makes you want to, you know, turn back the clock to July 4th around the time they were shooting the player and crash the party. (laughs) Are there any entries that really resonated? And if so, would you mind reading a piece? Oh, sure. Um, Just one one or or two of your favorites? Uh, Yeah, I'd be happy to. Well, let's see. Um... My mind goes to an entry from James Thurber, uh, the great uh, humorist, satirist, uh, cartoonist with The New Yorker for a long time, which maybe should be your first clue that this isn't the most rhapsodic diary entry, but I'm very partial to it. He's writing to uh, the New Yorker office manager. He's come out, I think, to do a little film work. And in 1939, which is an amazing year for Southern California, The Big Sleep comes out, Day the Locust comes out, Ask the Dust comes out. It's Gone with the Wind, The Wizard of Oz. It's remarkable. He's writing home, and he says... It is 104 here today, but the papers in this god-awful hellhole proclaim, quote, Angelinos suffer no discomfort, unquote. That would be too bad. I hope the sons of bitches burn up. <laughs> my my next question was going to be, what's the worst thing anyone's ever said about L.A.? And is was that up there? That's up there. That's a contender, god-awful hellhole. Um, the poet Hart Crane calls it this pink poodle paradise. I mean, I could go on. Um, you know, you... As why, a, why is there outsider, is vitriol the right word? Oh, vitriol is a mild word. Uh, I mean, you know, juxtaposed against the people who come here and maybe don't want to like it, but gradually go native. That yeah. sure happens. Christopher Isherwood is a wonderful diarist who didn't know what to make of the place, although he did get here uh, just as World War II was starting as a refugee from Europe. And there's a wonderful entry where he says, arrived in Los Angeles today, had an hour to kill, so we spent it finding an apartment. Just try that nowadays. <laughs> what is it about LA to you that's so special? Like another, in, another way to phrase that is: Is there anything in that in in your book that wasn't written that you wished had been written about LA that you would have said if you would have 
been included in this? Oh, man. Well, I was tempted, actually, to do a little Hitchcock-style authorial cameo. I resisted the temptation, but I consider this book a work in progress, and um, I would probably not be quite so self-effacing if I got another chance, nor would I be stingy with even readers. I mean, against my better judgment, my email address is in the book, in the preface and maybe the acknowledgments, too, because I would love to tell stories, to include correspondence and diaries, not just from the likes of James Thurber and Christopher Isherwood and Hart Crane, but also from civilians. I mean, they're in here. There are heart-wrenching diaries from a little girl in World War II, Japanese little girl who is ripped from her home and interned in Santa Anita. That's the racetrack uh, for non-Angelinos where um, a lot of the Japanese um, were removed to from their homes. They used the racetrack as a They used the racetrack as, as kind of a staging area, um, and eventually they were moved on to um, camps like Manzanar in Central California. Um, I mean, this is not a rose-colored glasses look at Southern California. I think my affection for the place comes through, but I'm not blind to all the blood on its hands. But I think I wandered off from your question, if you want to— um, yeah, what is what is it about Los Angeles to oh. you that's so special? Yeah, um, well, I mean, you're never quite sure how much of your feelings for your hometown are objective and how much of them are basically deflected narcissism. I didn't, and so many Californians in general and Southern Californians in particular appreciate California growing up here. California, Los Angeles was the most unexotic uh, place um, that I could possibly imagine. And I couldn't wait to go away to San Francisco to go to college back east. And it was only once I did that I realized I, there was something I was missing. I, I missed something I, I never valued in the first place. Um, and that's when I knew I had to come home and, you know, read some Raymond Chandler and listen to some Tom Waits and really educate myself about the place. And, I mean, it's it's a city that, for better and worse, is important to the rest of the world. And the rest of the world would be perfectly justified in resenting it for that because Los Angeles sometimes can be a little full of itself. But I hope, if anybody is tempted to come visit, that the book uh, can be a kind of alternate travel guide. Um, you know, you can look up whatever date you happen to land at LAX and see what somebody illustrious or somebody perfectly ordinary seeming um, thought and felt and wrote on that day and maybe get a glimpse of the city that voters and fromers and if anybody else still buys Let's Go uh, guides might not necessarily dependably include. Yeah, that's interesting. Did you had you thought of the travel angle when you were conceiving this idea? Like it would be like a like an alternative travel companion for visitors, or is that well? I a mean, you natural know, extension. Uh, it would be lovely. I mean, you know, once the book is coming out, you come up with all kinds of harebrained ideas about how everybody in Ulaanbaatar would love this book. Um, but I can't help thinking that, you know, it's a decent introduction to the place. And certainly I would love a book like this to exist for the cities that I travel to. Um, there was this predecessor for New York, but um, contrary to what you may hear from New Yorkers, there are other cities in the country and beyond the country. Yeah. 
What note surprised you, either in terms of the writer or in terms of the content itself? Is there anything that you were kind of just... You're going to get like 30 seconds of dead air here, but I hope there's something worthwhile on the other side of it. Your index was wildly helpful to me, by the way. Oh, thank you. I was jumping around looking for different people that I wanted to like hear their thoughts on or thoughts about them. You know, it's a whole profession indexing that I should have realized existed and now prize. I mean, in addition to all the proper names you would expect, I sent them, you know, themes like earthquakes or race relations or any number of things, screenwriting, and uh, and they found those too. Subject uh, indexing is famously harder than title indexing and author indexing. And so I go through here, you know, if I speak at um, the American Jewish University, I'll skim through. It's a little easier for me because I've got the word doc it came out of. I'll skim for Jews and Judaism, and there's, you know, a dozen passages I can read. I launched it last week at Roman's wonderful bookstore in Pasadena. I searched for Pasadena. You're never at a loss for material. I hope at some point, you know, there could be, I don't know, special editions shorter to tailored to particular interest. You know, there'll be a New Yorker edition um, where, you know, that they can read and figure out, you know, sites to visit so that they can feel as dyspeptic as Thurber was. <laughs> okay. So I'll ask the question again? Yes, by all means do. So what note surprised you, either in terms of the writer or in terms of the content itself? million possibilities are swarming in my head right now. So I have basically skimmed the first couple of pages and found one that's as good an answer as any and ask me again in five minutes and I'll give you a different one. This is from 2017. Um, I didn't want this just to be a history book. Yes, it starts in 1542 with the Cabrillo expedition, although it doesn't take 200 years to come to anybody that general readers have ever heard of. That's one of the virtues of the sort of scramble calendrical time scheme. But, you know, I didn't want recent years, which of course uh, are, are, you know, harder to find in published materials. Nobody is collecting the letters or diaries of, you know, too many Angelinos today. Maybe they will in 50 years. So I wanted to include all kinds of writing, including tweets. And so here from January 7th, 2017, is a tweet from Ryan Reynolds. Okay. He writes, People in L.A. are deathly afraid of gluten. I swear to God, you could rob a liquor store in this city with a bagel. <laughs> it's a great line. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, I assume it's him. I mean, if, if he has a, a, a ghost tweeter, I think this person should be you know, a professional joke writer, but I bet it's Ryan Reynolds. I've read interviews with him where he sounds halfway uh, articulate and amusing, and um, I was happy to include it. Um, (laughs) It's delightful. So there's a surprise that a guy I thought of as a decent actor also turns out to be, you know, a a quite (laughs) witty gentleman. That's that's a great one. Um, So what did you learn from doing this book? I learned to work faster. Um, I learned that seven years is a long time to spend on any project, especially a project like this one that won't let go of me even now that it's been published, thank heaven. I learned that there's never any getting to the end of Los Angeles. I mean, what I knew as a driver turns out to be doubly true as an editor of Dear Los Angeles. 
there's always some canyon that you didn't realize was there between Laurel Canyon and Coldwater Canyon and Beverly Glen. Uh, well, similarly, there, you know, you think you're going to get to the end of great L.A. anecdotes. You know, you get to town, you learn about what happened to the red cars uh, that used to crisscross town and make this a wonderful a wonderful transit city. You stay a little longer, maybe you learn about 1939 and how any decade's artistic productivity would have been proud to come out with what L.A. created just between January and December of 1939. But I've been immersed in this book for seven years, and I wasn't exactly bored with Los Angeles before that. And I keep finding these people I had never heard of um, or these events that, you know, are absolutely forgotten today. And they're mesmerizing. They deserve their place in the history books and on everybody's lips just as much as all the stories that we hear a little more frequently and maybe too frequently. Lightning round. Okay. What's your favorite bookstore? Can you say that without getting in any trouble? Uh, no. Okay. Um, I can cop out by saying... Seven years ago, it was Libros Mibros, my nonprofit lending library, because I bumbled into it. I had thousands and thousands of books from my previous career as a book reviewer, full-time instead of part-time like I am now. I have been a lifelong magpie for books, going to library book sales on Saturday mornings. And so I moved to this neighborhood with um, not a whole lot of access to books to begin with. And it was about to have even less because the week after I got there, the public library posted signs that it was closing on Mondays. So not knowing what I was going to be, I, I called it Libro Schmibro's Bookstore. Um, that lasted about six months before I realized that um, giving away books for next to nothing was not a great business model. So we became a nonprofit. We started finding good-hearted souls uh, and foundations. And we became um, a nonprofit that just puts books into people's hands and charges not a thing. Um, so I'm copping out now to say that um, my, my favorite bookstore is the bookstore that Libros was for six months. But I just came from the Iliad Bookshop in North Hollywood, which is a purely used bookstore, and walked out with four or five books, including literally one by my long-lost cousin, Alexander Kippen, who was beloved by Tolstoy, but I swear to you, I had never heard of. Did you have a a bookstore that you went to as a child growing up? Absolutely. I grew up in Westwood, uh, which is where UCLA is, where I teach writing now. Um, And Westwood was a book buyer's paradise. Uh, It was, um, I don't think I would be standing here or sitting, I don't think I would be sitting here talking to you today. I would not have become a book critic, certainly not a teacher, if it weren't for Campbell's books and Hunter's books and any number of other bookstores all within like a square half mile. Uh, It's why it meant so much to me during the first year of Libros to kill myself when we were invited to open up a temporary Libros at the Hammer Museum at uh, Wilshire and Westwood, the busiest intersection in Los Angeles, because it was an opportunity at least for six weeks that were then held over to 10 weeks to recapture a little bit of the book town that Westwood used to be and that Los Angeles, if you look around, really still is. I love that you 
you took ownership of the busiest intersection in Los Angeles. <laughs> and I feel like there's a lot of people that will hear this in the future th- that live here and would beg to differ. And they're, you know, just down the street from them is probably the busiest intersection. So it's actually really funny. You're slowing me down for the lightning round, Vic. <laughs> I know. Because I've been so lickety split yeah. speed of light fast so um, far. So what are you reading right now? I'm reading 1919 by John Dos Passos and about half a dozen other books at the same time. But I'm working on a story for this new quarterly magazine that Will Hurst is publishing called Alta about California in the West. And 100 years ago, all these amazing institutions, UCLA, um, the Huntington Library, the Los Angeles Philharmonic were founded. And I'm trying to get to the bottom of what it was about 1919 in Los Angeles that made that possible. So there's a novel by that name, and I wasn't about to ignore it. I've heard of Alta. It's like the New Yorker of the West. Oh, that, God, will you— s- Is that what— <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> did maybe I open that, up? Did I open up a— Oh, did you a open up a—yes. <laughs> I mean— I, describing Los Angeles in terms of New York, I mean, I make fun of it in the introduction. You know, there is actual writing by me in this book, even though I'm kind of drowned out by a whole lot of other voices. There are bios in back, and there's this introduction where I talk, among other things, about how Los Angeles has forever been the Italy of America or the capital of the third world or the Ellis Island of the West. Everybody describes Los Angeles in terms of someplace else, usually in, usually New York. Um, so it's a pet peeve of mine, but I hope like all my pet peeves, um, it's a little sheepish and apologetic and uh, not meant to offend How do you decide what to read? Oh, God. You know, it's ironic. When I was a professional book critic full-time at the San Francisco Chronicle, I would look forward to vacations because it was basically my only chance to read something that wasn't three months away from being published. I mean, you become this hostage to the present or the near future when you're a professional book critic. And when I would go on vacation or when it would be somebody's 100th anniversary or 200th anniversary, then finally I could go back and fill in uh, some of my gaps, of which there remain many. And, you know, here I am. I'm a a critic at large for the LA Times and Los Angeles Magazine, but that's not full-time. I can read what I want, and yet I find myself a captive of whatever I'm working on. If I'm writing about LA history, I'm reading a book set at some point in LA's past. If I'm writing about film for a book review or if I'm writing about DeWitt Clinton High School in the Bronx of all places, well, I'm reading books written by alumni of which there are an amazing number. Uh, Stan Lee and James Baldwin went to DeWitt Clinton High at the same time. Can you imagine Homeroom with those two guys? So, yeah, I mean, what I write as always feeds what I, what I read as always feeds what I'm writing, but there's worse problems to have. What's your next project? If you can't say, what's the, yeah. Oh, I mean, I I can. I've alluded to a couple already. There's this article about 1919. There is the uh, article about DeWitt Clinton High School and what it suggests about how this country could better assimilate and educate and benefit from young uh, immigrants. 
there is a project that I've been calling the Portage West, about the 10 TV writers in Westport, Connecticut, who in 1955, all their kids were riding stingrays and schwins around cul-de-sacs in Connecticut, who were all a year later riding all their stingrays and schwins around the cul-de-sacs of Pacific Palisades because their parents, Rod Serling and all of his fellow great New York live television writers had come west to write for regular episodic uh, television and in the process created the wonderful uh, shows that Mad Men basically created the advertisements to underwrite. Um, That's something that is at least an article and could grow. Um, And then I'm writing a novel from the perspective of one of the writers that I met in dear Los Angeles. His name is Francisco P. Rodriguez. He was born in Los Angeles in 1837. So it's not part of America at the time. It's part of Mexico. And he's this journalistic prodigy. By the time he was 14, he was translating the front page of Los Angeles's first newspaper from English into Spanish, where it appeared on the back page. So it was a bilingual newspaper. And then a few years later after that, before he was out of his 20s, he had started his own newspaper, El Clamor Público, The Public Outcry. And he was this muckraking, rabble-rousing editor in Southern California as, as a kid. Um, he's an ex- irresistible character to me. And I'm finding he makes a not-half-bad narrator for an novel. Wish me luck. And finally, where can listeners find out more about you and your work? Oh, gosh. Um, Heaven help you if you Google me. The internet is lousy with me. I would love them to do that. I mean, I'd like to think that as a, as a, a an egotistical writer, you know, um, help the needy, read their stuff is my motto, that you can get to know me best through my work, through my prose. Uh, so I would never discourage anybody from doing that. Um, absent that, email me at the address in the book. Um, even if you don't have an original diary or letter, either of yours or even better, your grandparents' love letters uh, or anything relevant to L.A. history. But just, you know, drop me a line and say hello. Writers are lonely. The book is Dear Los Angeles. David Kippen, thank you. I've enjoyed it, Vic. Nice show you have here. You've been listening to Book Stories. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to shows. Book Stories is an alternate Thursdays production. Special thanks to Savannah Wright for production assistance. I'm Vic Singh. Thanks for listening. <laughs>